So I've told this story before, and maybe you've heard it. It's actually an urban legend, but it's the one about the ship captain that sent a message to a contact on his radar who was in his path. And the captain said, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And the response was, I recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Next, the captain said, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the response was, no, I say again, you divert your course. The captain finally said, this is the aircraft carrier USS Truman, one of the largest ships in the United States Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. The final response came back and it said, this is a lighthouse, your call. Right? You've heard that before? Well, keep that in mind. I want to read from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9 to the end of the book. This is God's word. It says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goats. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book in particular that, that speaks so, so loudly and clearly to our lives. We thank you for the variety in your word, the different ways that you have chosen to reveal yourself and your, your ways and your will to us through your holy word. Lord, we pray that, that you would put a period, in a sense, in this series, uh, in our hearts, or that we would all be able to look back and, and remember what it was that you taught us uh, through this, this study of Ecclesiastes. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and change us for your glory. Amen. Amen. So we have, we've come to the end and we've come to the conclusion, the end of the matter, as it says. And if you notice, we had a change of voice. When we started our studies in Ecclesiastes, we discovered uh, that there is a narrator who is responsible for introducing us to the preacher in the first verse of the book. And here at the end, the narrator shows up again. This, this book is is written certainly to uh, a gathering or preached to a gathering, and, and yet this narrator has bookended the instruction that, that Solomon, the preacher, has given to us. Stephen showed us last week that, that the preacher's first words were vanity of vanities, and then his last words last week were vanity of vanities. And, and here's the, the question that I'd like us to wrestle with this morning. Should we listen to the preacher? 
And we've said that this, this preacher is either Solomon himself or definitely personifies Solomon. So we've called him Solomon throughout our study. But should we listen to Solomon? It's like Ecclesiastes is like this little lighthouse that sends a beacon out into the world. And yet the huge ships of the world tell the wisdom of this book to get out of the way. The aircraft carriers of philosophy forge ahead, seeking deeper answers to deeper questions, convinced that they can be found until they crash upon the rocks because they haven't listened. The fleets of the foolish and proud and arrogant who choose to ignore the wisdom that shines from this lighthouse. Their demise has come upon them quickly. Shipwrecked lives, people found on the rocks of disillusionment and despair and destruction, all because of an unwillingness to listen. Now, I imagine that the captain in that, that urban legend listened to the lighthouse worker and diverted his course, but should we listen to Solomon and the wisdom that's come before? And it's actually not a bad question if you think, well, that seems like a, a strange question because some interpreters say that Solomon is really jaded in this book. That he's writing from a, a bad place in his life. And as a matter of fact, they say that our text today is, is a rebuttal from the narrator to all that Solomon has said before, which is kind of strange that the Bible would, would contain 12 chapters of don't worry about what's being said here. I don't think that that's what's going on. Some people think and, and interpreters say that Solomon is writing from a backslidden place. So the content that he provides is suspect, again, that, that he's He's writing from a dark place in a man who had fallen so far. And certainly there is jaded in here and certainly Solomon did not end well and had backslidden. And then some wonder, should we, should we listen to all of this under the sun wisdom that this book gives to us based on what we know now? Right? We live our lives on this side of, of Jesus and this side of the cross and the resurrection. How seriously do we take the under the sun wisdom that's presented to us in Ecclesiastes when we know so much more about life in God's kingdom and particularly the life of suffering that we will all encounter according to Jesus himself? How do we square Solomon's seize the day, find joy and happiness and the good things in our lives today when we're called to pick up a cross and follow Jesus every day? Does Ecclesiastes comport with the Sermon on the Mount, for example, which is the, the study that we just came out of? So maybe you've noticed that, that I have preached this book straight up, that we have preached this book straight up, connecting the point of each text to our own lives today. And, and the reason is partly because of how this book ends today. Because if, if I asked, should we listen to the preacher, the final writer in this book would answer with a resounding yes. Yes. 
Because look at how he commends Solomon and the entirety of this book to us. Look at verse 9 and 10 again. Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. The preacher. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. This, is, this reads like a list of credentials, doesn't it? And there are five reasons here to listen to all that has come before. Number one, because the preacher was wise, truly wise. Number two, the preacher taught the people knowledge, real knowledge. Number three, the preacher taught thoroughly and carefully, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, it says. Number four, the the preacher cared about beauty. And found out words of delight. And number five, the preacher has integrity. He uprightly wrote words of truth. Including what he has said in this book. In other words, Ecclesiastes is a deep well of truth and knowledge. And thorough and careful wisdom. Words of wisdom and proverbs and illustrations. And word pictures and poetries and commands. That are all meant to spur people. Like us to believe its message. Look. Ecclesiastes is a book of Holy Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit that is designed to teach God's people how to live, how to rightly live in his planet, how to wisely live on his planet, even given the brokenness of the world that we live in because of sin and the fall. Even though The tone has been dark and depressing at times. I have found Solomon to be one of the greatest ambassadors for hope in the entire Bible. It's been surprising to me. Hope that can only be found in God has been presented to us. Think about the mechanism that it's come to us. Hope that can only be found in God has come to us through this tool of exposing the utter hopelessness of existence without God. Solomon has taken us down every dead end that life has to offer, and he's pointed out its futility and its meaninglessness to such a thorough extent that the reader's only choice is to long for hope somewhere, which can only be found above the sun, which is brilliant. Which Solomon would probably say, yeah, thanks, Eric. I kind of was, right? I mean, the wisdom thing. So in the end, and and we must see this. This This is my point. That Ecclesiastes is a book that we must listen to. Just a, a small, relatively small book in the Bible. Pretty overlooked. Maybe you've heard some people say it's their favorite book because maybe they're they're deep thinkers or philosophers or they've come to find the, the honesty in it to be refreshing. I've heard from many of you that when you've told others that we're, we're preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes in our church, that that surprised people. Like, wow, what in the world? <laughs> like, 
Nobody preaches through the book of Ecclesiastes. But this, this book has been powerful for us, hasn't it? We must listen to it because it's a book designed by God to do something in us, to get us somewhere, to push us toward faith in its message and obedience to its truth. And that's, that's not just my thought. Look at, look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. This is actually the sixth reason to listen to Solomon. That also comes with a warning. But he says that the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed. Maybe you know that a goad was a prod, mostly used by farmers or shepherds. The prod would often have a sharp point affixed at the end or even a nail. And the farmer would jab the lazy beast of burden or the unruly in order to, to keep it going in the direction that it needs to. But think about the image. This image tells us that the animal had a goal connected to the job that it was doing. The animal had a purpose that was intricately wrapped up in his existence. The animal at its most existential level had a reason to live, a purpose for its life, a meaning that was all connected to him at that moment finishing that row or plowing the field. So the goad was a gift. It was a tool to push the animal towards its purpose and meaning in life. This is what the words of the wise are, the collected sayings, which come from God himself. They are given by one shepherd he says. Look, if you're here this morning and your life, you feel, is out of control, nobody might see it or know it from the outside, but you do, you are experiencing the downward spiral and vortex of bad decisions and consequences, and, and I know we all know that life is hard as it is, but maybe if you're honest, you would say either physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually, it's bad. It's bad. And maybe you feel like it's only getting worse. Or maybe you wonder what your purpose in life is in the first place. Why are you here? What is the point? Do you see our text today says that God is holding out a lifeline for you. In the same way that a farmer or a shepherd knows the purpose for an animal's life and uses a tool to push it toward that, that's what this book in God's word does for us. If you're lost, if you can't grasp hold of meaning, there are, are far more questions than answers. Look to God's word because it has the power to direct you into God's ways. 
If you're looking for wisdom, God has given it to us. As a matter of fact, he's given it to us here, and then he gives this warning, right? In verse 12, he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. And much studiness is, is weariness of the flesh. Here the narrator affirms what the teacher has already told us, that there is a vanity connected to, to wisdom. I think, and you talk about of, of the writing of books. There are many, there's, there's no end. This is, what year is this? Thousands of years ago. How many books have been written since? I think it was a handful of years ago that it was a million a year were being written at that point. And who's figured it out in all of those books? Look there, you, you can fill your head with all the knowledge that's out there, but there's a warning. He said, hey, stick to this. Because even much study will bring weariness. Certainly all of our students will attest to that. And the smart kids in the room today will mark this verse down. It's a good one. This book contains God's wisdom for us. And I'll I'll tell you that Ecclesiastes has become a treasure to me. Again, even though it's tough. Solomon has made a thorough case for all that is broken and wrong about this life seen from the perspective of of a godless world, life under the sun, as he calls it. And we've seen the reality of the monotony in this life, right? We just do the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again for a lifetime. We've seen the unpredictability of life. You never know. Sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen. The wind blows south and then north. And of course, there is a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. We've seen the injustice of life. Sometimes the good happens to the bad and the bad happens to the good. Life is simply unfair and we know that. By our own experience, we've seen impossibility in life. Some things will never change. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? We've seen futility. Sometimes you get overlooked for the work that you do, and sometimes others get credit for what you've done. That old man saved the city from the attacking king, and nobody even remembered his name. We've seen the unsatisfaction that comes with more wisdom and more money and wealth and more power and more sex and pleasure. It's all vanity because it never satisfies. And Solomon says, and I tried it all. And all of the above is capped off by the great equalizer, which is death, which comes to us all. And then everything you've ever made of your life is left behind for others. And then even after you die, your life is meaningless because nobody's even going to remember you or your name 40 years from now. And yet even in the midst of all of this, Solomon has told us four times already to fear God. He's told us seven times to enjoy life, to enjoy our work, to enjoy the good gifts that God gives us each day. Because what else is there? He's given us commands regarding our lives, to rejoice, to enjoy, to consider the work of God, to cast our bread upon the water, to remember our creator, to live until we can't live anymore, to protest against death by living life to the fullest. 
That's been a consistent message in this book, hasn't it? I want to show you my coffee mug. I've been thinking about Ecclesiastes in connection with my coffee mug. And this is my mug. I drink coffee from this almost every day that I'm here at the office. And the story is, in October of 2019, my niece, Sammy, uh, was getting married to Blaze in Wapaton, North Dakota, which is outside of Fargo. And Marie and I went, along with our family, uh, to Wapaton. I'd never been to the Arctic Circle before. <laughs> it was cold. There, no polar bears, though. Um, but it was during some downtime that Marie and I went to a thrift store. It was actually Minnesota. This Wapaton's right on the border of Minnesota. And I saw this coffee mug at the thrift store, and I had to have it. It was all of a buck or maybe two, but I had to have it because it is so terrible. <laughs> I am not kidding you. This is the worst made ceramic maybe I've, I've ever seen, except the one I did when I was like seven years old in fourth grade. If you look at it, it, it sits crooked. Like, that is how it sits. The glaze does not go to the bottom. Like, however that was supposed to work, it just kind of stopped. The handle is okay, but it's kind of crooked and messed up. And then they, they kind of ran the glaze down the handle and just like let it pour because the only piece that reaches the bottom is that little glob <laughs> on the bottom of it, right? But I had to have this cup because of what it says on it. It says joy. Because a lot of my life contains crooked things, right? And unfinished things and terrible looking things that, that kind of do the job, right? A lot, of, a lot of my life is represented in a cup like this. And I was thinking about Ecclesiastes because what does he say except but to find joy? Like joy is, is written into the very brokenness of this terribly made cup, right? And it sits on my desk and I drink coffee from it almost every day, and I bring it into our meetings, and not every day do I look at it and I have this, ah, oh, moments, you know, of, of spirituality with my coffee mug, right? But it sits on my desk because we're meant to find joy in this crooked life, aren't we? So we listen to Solomon. We listen to him. To the entire book, whose end now says... The end of the matter. Look at verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the final instruction. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Period. And we find the point and the goal of this entire book. We know that apart from God, there is no real meaning in this life. And that nothing really matters. But true meaning is found in God alone, and because of him, everything matters. That's what we see here. We are invited and commanded to fear God. All has been heard. 
You think of a courtroom, or maybe you just think of, of your kids. You ever have the one kid who flies in crying and is going to tell you the story and tell you exactly what happened? And like, what does a good parent do? Waits for the second kid, right? You got to wait for the second kid to come in, who then fills in, well, but, but she did this first. But then, okay, well, then she says, that, well, he did this before I did that. And what's the goal in a moment like that? Well, certainly to, to parent your kids wisely. But at one level, all needs to be heard, right? At the end of the matter, all has been heard. We're not talking about a squabble of two kids. We're talking about the wisest man other than Jesus Christ laying out for us his experience in this life. And the writer inspired by the Holy Spirit saying, look, it's, it's all been explored. It's all been heard. Here's what we do, guys. Fear God. Fear God. To fear God is to acknowledge him, to reverence him and his existence in this world and in this life. To fear God is not to be scared of God, we know that, but it's to honor him, to acknowledge him which requires for all of us to bow our proud and independent heart to the one who made us. To recognize that there is a creator of this universe and it's evident to us all. Deep down, we know it. This creator has made us and deserves to be acknowledged and honored He's also the one that our hearts long for. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. But in this context, he's the only one who has the answers that you and I are looking for. The answer to the point of life, the answer to why we are here, the answer to what this is all about. Anyway, fear God, we are commanded. Begin today. Acknowledge the living God. And you know that your heart has changed and you are fearing God in the right way, the appropriate way, the biblical way, when you obey his commandments. Fear God and obey his commandments. They're connected. His commandments are holy and righteous and good. His commandments are for our good because he knows the purpose for which he created you and me. And he knows how our lives are meant to work best. And he hates sin. And the consequences and the destruction and the chaos that sin wreaks in our lives. God tells us how to live through his commandments. And what are his commands? Well, if you don't know Jesus, if you have not trusted in him, if you have not bowed your knee to the one who died for you, for the forgiveness of your sin, and offers you eternal life found in him alone, we don't have to go further than Mark 1 and what he said. Obey his commandments, Jesus said. After John was arrested, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus would say to you. 
Fear God and obey his commands beginning right here. Repent and believe the gospel. Look to Jesus Christ as the Savior that you long for and the Savior that you need and the Savior who, who is the way. Are you so lost today? There's a way that can be found, a Savior who is the truth. Are you so confused today, so disoriented today? He is the truth and he is the life. If you don't know what your life is about, you have no idea until you've been given life by Jesus Christ, not just in this world, but eternal life to come. Repent and believe this good news. This world is broken and is falling apart and filled with chaos and pain. And into this world, Jesus Christ came to save us, to rescue us. This is what we've been singing about this morning. This is what we love about what Jesus has come to do. And all by dying on a cross, a strange way to save the world indeed. But he was resurrected and reigns above the sun. He oversees our lives under the sun. If you don't know Jesus, begin today. Repent and believe the gospel. That, that will be fearing God and keeping his commands. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, what does it mean to obey God's commands? Well, this is also summed up by Jesus, isn't it? A place like Matthew 22 Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Don't need to go much further, do we? What does it mean to fear God and obey his commands except to, to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and to trust in him and to believe in him and to take his word for it, to love him and to worship him and to honor him and to communicate with him, to pray to him, to place almighty God at the center of our lives, to stop messing around here. To fear God and put him as the dominant factor in your entire life and every area of your life. To love the Lord your God. That's what it means to love him with all of your heart. You're not keeping anything out of that. You're not keeping him out of anything. And we love our neighbor as ourself. Easiest little sentence to say and the hardest thing to do, right? We're terrible. Because of the sin that remains in us and the, the bent toward our own pride and our own selves and our own protection. And what did Jesus come to do except revolutionize that? Into a people who are driven by others' concern and not self-concern. This, this is what we're called to. This is the whole duty of man. That's a phrase that, that touches on the most deep questions of our existence on this planet. Your purpose is wrapped up in that. 
This is the whole duty of men and women on this planet to fear God and to obey his commands. In, in that sentence, brothers and sisters, this is life. This is an invitation to life the way it's meant to be lived. After everything is heard, all the evidence is in, what is the point of life? Where is meaning found? In fearing God and obeying his commandments. And all of this because in the end, this life really is going somewhere. Look at it again, verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for. So we get a why. Why? Well, here's why. Here's the because. For, this is the whole duty of man. For, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret, secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you see it? This is the why. Why fear God and keep his commands? Because God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, good or evil. Do you know? I, I mean, this is... This is meant to change the world. That's one sentence that encapsulates an entire worldview. That our lives are truly heading somewhere, that our lives have an end, that our lives have a goal, that, that we have a termination point, which will be an appointment before the throne of Almighty God someday after death or when Jesus returns. And in that place, above the sun, we will give an account for our lives, a record of our lives that we lived under the sun. Every part of our lives, every decision, every word, every secret, every action, and every good thing, every sacrifice, every kindness, every act of love will be reviewed and will be rewarded. Which means, do you see what happens at the end of this book in this last sentence? If you think about it, the entire 12 and a half chapters prior to this have all been arguing that life doesn't matter. That nothing matters. That's what vanity of vanities is. Havel of Havels. It's, it's a vapor. It, you can't, it looks solid, but you can't hold on to it. It's a, an image that goes multiple different ways and serves many different directions that make the same point that nothing ultimately matters. For 221 verses, we've been told that nothing in this life under the sun matters. And in the very last verse, we learn that everything matters. Everything matters. Why? Because we're all headed to a place where God is going to review our entire lives under the sun. Every good thing, every bad thing, every secret thing, it's all going to come up again before God. And because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for us covering all of our sins, it's not going to be a moment of condemnation for us, praise God, right? 
But it's going to be a moment that looks at every moment in this life. Every bit of the monotony gets turned upside down because God sees all of it and he cares about it. All of your work, all of your marriage, all of your parenting, all of your words, all of your kindness toward people, all of your worship, all of your giving, all of your serving, God is recording it all. Don't you know that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain? We've heard that, right? Which means that there's nothing that doesn't matter in this life, according to Ecclesiastes. Because God himself, look, just think, if there is no God, then there is no judge. If there is no judge, then there is no judgment. And if there is no judgment, then nothing matters. Because who cares? Who are you or I to say? And if it's all just a vapor and we're all simply heading to six feet underground, then nothing matters. It's all arbitrary. But if there is a God and there is a judge of the bad and the good, and if there is a judgment of both, then everything matters. And your and my final goal will be to stand before God one day and because of the grace of Jesus Christ, not to be condemned, but to report on and present how you lived each day under the sun for his glory. That's what you're doing right now in your life. And if you make Jesus the center of your life, And no matter what comes in this life, if you fear God and obey his commands with all of the power that he gives you, then eternity will be too short to realize why it was all worth it. And how good Jesus was all along. Fear God and obey his commandments for a lifetime. It's God's word to us. I know you know this. So many people are are so lost anymore. You don't know which way is up. The world, the world is changing. We know that, right? Everybody knows that. Our country is changing. Things feel so disjointed because they are. Something's going on, and I'm not a cultural analyst to tell you why or, or what that is. And this is all so disorienting to so many. Not to mention trying to figure out the point of it all. Trying to figure out a direction or a purpose. If that's you this morning, there's hope. And it's found in God alone. The only meaning you're ever going to find. And not just answers to your questions, but life and joy are found in him. And he invites you to come to him. And even if you've known God for many years, but you find yourself more in that spot, there's hope for you. Because this is clearly saying to us what life is all about and how to live.
Certainly there's sin in our hearts that so easily entangles us. The thing we want to do, we don't. The thing we don't want to do, we do. Get that and thank God for the blood of his son that covers us and forgives us. Every sin, past, present, and future was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. We sing that. We rejoice in that. But fear God and obey his commands for a lifetime. And, and as I close, and worship team, you can come and join me. If you're doing that, if it's been a month and you're fighting to fear God and place him in your life and trust in Christ and obey his commands, if it's been a year, if it's been 10 years, if it's been 50 years, you are doing well. You're doing well. You're doing it. God's word calls us to fear God and to keep his commands for a lifetime. And at the end, we will see the face of a savior who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the forever joy with no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more brokenness, no more crookedness. Enter into the joy of your father. Amen. Lord, we pray that you help us learn the lesson of this book, Lord, to, to consider how every part of our lives matter, to live our lives as a living sacrifice to you, to live our lives with you in view, with you, Jesus, at the center of it all. Be thou my vision. All these things that we, we sing as prayers. To fear you, to include you, to fight against the sin that easily entangles us, to repent when it comes and receive forgiveness, to continue. Jesus, only by the, the grace and the strength that you give us, all of this apart from you, we can do nothing. So would you fill us with your spirit to follow you? Would you save today for the hopeless one? Would a ray of hope shine into the heart, light into the darkness? We love you. We love your word. 